What a song for Easter. Keep that in the back pocket. Oh. Well, good morning. Again. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, as I stated, I thank uh, Tim Knudsen for his message last week. And two weeks ago, we were at the latter part or midway of chapter 2. And now we're going to continue on verses 13 through 17. 13 through 17 out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And having already prayed over this message, let us begin. You know, as we're going through... Uh, our study and, and examination and preaching through Peter, the theme from which we are examining these scriptures is this. We are to live holy lives as we sojourn, meaning travel as aliens not of this world, uh, through an evil and hostile world. How do we do that? Well, First Peter, his entire epistle is dedicated to how we are to live in a hostile world an evil world that at times can come against his children through ways of persecution. And so far we have examined this theme of holiness within ourselves and our interactions with others and that we are to live holy and pure lives, not to be conformed to our fleshly passions and to love others with a sincere and pure heart. Now Peter extends this call of holiness as it relates to those who have been placed in authority over us. And within our text this morning, Peter is specifically speaking about the government or the state. You know those three big questions that exist within Christianity. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people, right? And um, another one of those big questions is how are we to live under government, right? How are we to live under government? Now, before we examine these scriptures, and Peter's going to express all of this, and hopefully we get a good grasp given the day in which we live. Now, before we examine these scriptures, we must understand the context from which Peter is writing these verses. Peter is in Rome at this time. A.D. 64 is being estimated. And he's writing this letter at the time of Nero. What a lovely-looking dude, huh? They did a, a remake of his face based upon all the sculptures and what he really looked like, and that's close. But he was the emperor at the time, and there was great persecution going on in the Roman Empire against Jews and Christians. Remember the fire of Rome that, om that almost destroyed the entire city? Nero blamed that on Christians, and it led to persecutions throughout the empire. And so Peter is writing to those churches that are dispersed. In fact, Peter himself will be martyred underneath this persecution. And yet Peter is admonishing his readers to subject themselves to the authorities over them. Even if they're under a tyrannical and an oppressive government. Now why would Peter say that? Why would he say this to the churches who are experiencing this persecution? Well, there's reasons why he says this. 
And the scriptures that we're going to examine this morning are going to show us four reasons why, even under a tyrannical and oppressive government, we are to be submissive. So let's examine starting with verse 13. Be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution. Let's stop there for a minute and just understand what Peter is saying just in that first part of that verse. When we look at God's Word, we see, especially in the epistle of Paul to the Romans in chapter 13, which is almost a mirror of what Peter is saying here in in these few verses. Chapter 13 talks about how we are to live underneath government. And Paul echoes much of what Peter is saying, and Peter echoes much of what Paul is saying. In the Romans, chapter 3, it says, There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Adding to this in Daniel, chapter 2, Daniel says that God appoints the kings and removes the kings. And of course, Daniel in chapter 2 is talking about the sovereignty of God and that all things are under His control. And so what this tells us is that the governments, good or bad, are established by God. Now, for those governments that work for the people, we acknowledge that as, yeah, we would agree with that. But for governments that oppress and that are corrupt and tyrannical, we have a hard time with that, thinking that that was established by God. In order to really understand that, we need to understand that God has two wills that He operates from. Actually, He has more, but we're going to talk about two. And the first one is that God operates by a decreed will. That which He states will happen, that's which He writes down, that He spoke through Moses, that He spoke through the prophets, of what will transpire. An example of this is when he established the Israelite as his people. That was a decreed statement from God. That will happen. And when we see decreed statements of God, that will happen because he has stated it will. But then he also has a permissive will in which he allows things to happen but ultimately controls the outcome in accordance with his good and perfect will. Why? Because he's sovereign. But sometimes he allows things to happen. A perfect example of this is when we look at King Saul and King David. You remember those two cats, right? King Saul, right? How did he become king? The people clamored that they wanted a God just like everybody else. We want to be just like everybody else. Prior to King Saul, they were under judge rule. And Samuel was the last judge. And Samuel warned them as God told Samuel to warn them, okay, you want a king? Here's what you're going to get. You're going to get oppression. He is going to call for your sons and your daughters. He's going to tax you and that you're going to have to be subordinate to him. Whereas in the past, they had to be just subordinate to God's law. But now he's going to add another dimension. So if you really want a king, this is what you're going to get. And they said, Bring it on. We want a king, just like everybody else. Well, they got their king. And King Saul was not a very good king. And so God allowed that to happen. But he was in full control. Why? Because then he brings about King David. King David, the man after God's own heart. The king he decreed to be king. 
The king from which the lineage of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ come from. That's why we call him the King of King and the Lord of Lord. And so we see that God has two wills as it relates to circumstances with governments. He either allows them to happen or he implements them to happen. And so, all, so understanding that all authority is established by God, Peter admonishes his listeners to be obedient to those authorities for the Lord's sake. And herein lies the first reason we are to subject ourselves to authorities appointed over us. To honor the Lord. To honor the Lord. The entire, our entire Christian experience is about bringing honor to the Lord Jesus Christ through acts of worship. We give our tithe and offering out of joy, not out of compulsion, as an act of worship. We obey not out of obligation, but as an act of worship. We are to do all things as an act of worship. And why do we do this? Because we love our Lord. And we want to honor Him. It's no different than why you do the things you do for the people that you love. You don't do it because you have to. You do it because you love them. Remember what Christ said, if you love me, you will follow my commandments. That's why we do that. And that's why everything we do needs to honor Christ. And so we are to be submissive to the authorities placed under over us because for the Lord's sake, to bring honor to him. Now, the reason why Peter is saying this is because Peter witnessed and understood that Jewish zealots who resisted the Roman government and did not pay taxes because they felt they served a higher authority in God, which they do, but they totally ignored the authority of Caesar and the Roman Empire. And as a result, these Jewish zealots would cause issues and bring harsh treatment from the government because they were breaking the law. That's bringing discredit upon the name of Jesus. This is what Peter's concern was for the churches, that they would follow suit as to what the Jewish zealots... Remember, the church was comprised of also Jewish converts. And they brought with them the disdain of the Roman Empire with them at times. And so Peter is not only talking to the Jews, he's talking to the Gentiles. Jesus himself gives us the example on how we're to deal. And he uses the example in that when Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees and the Herodians to trap him by asking him if it was lawful for the Jews to pay taxes to Caesar in Mark 12, 17, what did Jesus say? He said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Why did they marvel? Because of his wisdom. You see, they wanted to trap him. If he said, yes, don't pay taxes to Caesar, then they could go ahead and charge him and say, he's stalking out against Caesar. But if he said, yes, you need to pay taxes to Caesar, then they could say, oh, you're breaking the law of Moses. Jesus answered, was one filled with wisdom. You're accountable to two things. You're accountable to God the Father for the things that are of the God, things that are of God the Father, and you're accountable as a citizen in the world in which you live. 
out of the government in which you reside. Jesus did not come to establish a kingdom on this earth at the time that he was ministering. But that's what they thought. They thought he was the guy. And so by way of Jesus' example, we are to be good citizens. We are to be respecting the laws of government over us so that we don't bring discredit upon Christ. Peter then breaks down those elements of government that we're supposed to be obedient to, right? He continues on in that same verse, whether to be the emperor or supreme or governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. We're just not subject to the king. We're not just subject to the emperor. We're not just subject to what we would, our leader, the president of the United States. We are subject to all levels of government, whether it be city, county, township, or wherever those laws that are just come from. You know what the basic premise of government is? It's to provide law and order, safety and security. Even in a tyrannical government, it provides that. Because without any government, what would we have? We'd have chaos. There'd be no law. And we've seen examples of that in Portland and in Seattle and Baltimore and Washington, D.C. and New York City this last year. When there is no law and there is no enforcement of law, chaos ensues and nobody's safe. And the purpose of government in its purity is to punish those who break the laws. That's why there's laws. To curb behavior that we can't curb ourselves. But it's also to reward the good citizens. By what? Providing that safe and secure environment to live in. In Romans chapter 13, that other chapter, the other, you know, Paul's epistle in Romans chapter 13, speaking of government, says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? To do what is good, and you will receive his approval? We should have a healthy fear of authority. Now, that doesn't mean a timid fear. That doesn't mean a frightful fear. That means a reverential fear. To this day, when I get stopped, and it's very rare that I get stopped by a law enforcement officer for speeding or whatever. One time I got stopped because I didn't have my new tags on because it was too cold to put them on. And I got stopped by a higher patrol officer. I had a little, oof, what'd I do? I mean, she was doing 60, so I passed her. It was 70, and she pulled me over. I'm like, is my calibration off on my speedometer? I, I felt a little, uh-oh because I violated a law, maybe. So it's good to have a healthy fear of authority, a reverential fear, because they've been placed there by God to hold us accountable. Some of those laws may seem ridiculous, right? We've got some laws out there that seem ridiculous that we shouldn't just follow because they're just dumb. Well, recently I got a phone call uh, from an alderman or a city county commissioner. Yeah, now that we live out in Renville County. If I go across the highway, I'm in Ward. And then if I, where I live, I'm on Renville County. So if I get in trouble in Renville, I just jump across the street. But anyway. So I plow 
my road, and I can't turn around on my road. So what I did is I plowed snow to the highway and over the highway and into the ditch. Now, our ditches don't have any shoulders at all. It's just straight off, right? So I couldn't go all the way in the ditch. I wouldn't get out with my truck. So I piled up a little bit of snow, probably two, two and a half feet. And then I would turn around and come back. I didn't put a whole bunch. I just put a little. Well, we got a phone call. Rebel. Rebel. We, we got a phone call saying, you can't do that. Because when the southwest or southeast wind come, it'll drift across the highway and cause all kinds of problems. Now, understand, there were all kinds of drifts on that highway. From piled up snow from, you know, the highway department who plows. And I thought they would be able to maybe knock that down a little bit, but they didn't plow that far over. And so, although there were other drifts that would cause even bigger problems, I went out there with a shovel and I knocked down that drift. Because that's the law. And I was breaking the law. As ridiculous as that law may be. I was snow blowing out here, trying to get snow away from the church. And my snow blower that day was operating prime. And it was blowing that stuff 60 feet. I was blowing it right in the street. I didn't know. Until I was told that's illegal. <laughs> don't do that. I don't know. Should have done a background check on me, I guess. But nonetheless... We are to obey those laws, all the laws, with an exception. And I'll get to that later. Then he goes on to verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Within verse 15, and we discussed this in Sunday school class, we see the second and the third reason as to why we are to submit to authorities. And the second reason we are to submit to authorities is because it is the will of God. When we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, our wills are taken to the cross. And it is then God's will that reigns supreme in us. The will of God is how we are to live. It is what He desires for us to live by, not what we desire to live by. When Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you remember that, he cried out, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, there will be times when we will not want to do what is right, what the Lord wills. And that's why we have God's will. Because in those times, the will of God must take place precedence over our perspective, our understanding, our passions, and our desires. Jesus was crying out in His humanity, but in His divinity, He wanted to follow the will of God, and we are to do the same. And it is the will of God, it is His will for our lives, that we do good even under an oppressive government. And that's the second reason. But right within that same verse, we see the third reason. I'm a little behind in my slides. And that is to be a, be a witness for Christ. To be a witness for Christ. You see, Peter once was a Jew who desired Jesus to reestablish the kingdom, as I spoke about. The earthly kingdom. But now he understands that because we are citizens of heaven, we are now ambassadors of Christ 
called to live lives of holiness in every aspect to and include our submission under authority by doing good, we would then reflect Christ and His character in us. Remember what we covered two weeks ago in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. How we live, our example to others, says more about who we are in Christ than our words do at times. In fact, the world is watching to see if our actions match what we say, especially those who are seeking the very thing that we have received. Remember, there are two types of people out there that you live alone. Those that are seeking for the answers of life, who want to know the truth, and those that aren't seeking anything at all from God. And we don't know which one is which. That's why we need to live in the will of God and be a witness for Him. Because that seeker that you might have missed, that's sitting in the back of the crowd, is watching everything you say and watching everything you do, not to be critical of you, but to say, is that truth for me too? And that's why our witness needs to be a reflection of Christ in everything we do. And then he says, the reason why is to put to silence. In translating this from the Greek, it means to muzzle or to gag those who speak against Christianity. You know, there were many who were aggressively speaking out against Christianity at this time. They were falsely accusing the church of some really heinous things, like they accused them of orgies. Why? Because they practice an agape love fest. They accused them of cannibalism. Why? Because they practiced the Lord's table. They celebrated the Lord's table in which they symbolically took the body of Christ. And so they aggressively accused the church and labeled the church falsely. We were talking about that in Sunday school. You know, when people can't have a conversation with you on an intellectual level, what do they tend to revert to? Name-calling and labeling. Because maybe you're telling them the truth they don't want to hear, and their pride is not going to allow them to receive that. So what do they do? They label you. They shoot you down. And we're seeing it today. Labeling is the primary weapon in shutting down voices that are different than theirs. Words like racist, intolerant, homophobic, transphobic, are all labels that the world is trying to attach to the Christian church. Because once the label sticks, then they can discredit. And when they discredit, then they have permission to persecute. We've seen that all throughout humanity. Once you demonize, a segment of people, then you're justified in persecuting them. That's what was going on in Rome. That's why the Christians were being persecuted. They were being falsely accused. That's why, as we discovered this morning in Sunday school class, that's why Stephen was stoned to death. Because he was falsely accused for telling the truth. Because they didn't want to hear it. 
That's what's going to happen to the church in the future. It's already happening. They're trying to label the church. I spoke about that two weeks ago where somebody felt because I was a Christian, I didn't like a certain segment of people. We are called to love everyone and to pray for everyone and to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone. We're not doing that to fill the church. We're doing that for the kingdom of heaven. Because we love them, we want them to be in eternity with God the Father, their creator. Not in hell, separated in darkness with gnashing of teeth. But that escapes them. That doesn't equate. Why? Because it's spiritually discernible. That's why we need to pray that the Holy Spirit woos their heart unto the Lord and reveals himself to them. You know, there are many people who will never read the Word of God. There are many people that will never read about the good news of Jesus Christ. But they will read the example of those who live by it. They'll read your every move. You know that story about piling up snow across the highway? What would have happened if I would have called up that guy and said, look, I put snow where I want to put snow, and if you've got a problem with that, then deal with it. And then he shows up to visit this church one Sunday because that's, he's looking for a church. Hmm, that wouldn't look too good, would it? No, it wouldn't. Peter continues, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. When we believe in Christ and place our faith in Him, we are freed from the law. We are freed from the slavery of sin. We are freed from our own natural desires. And we are freed from the limitations of a natural world because we serve a supernatural God. And as such, as I stated earlier, we are citizens of heaven. We are not of this world as Jesus prayed in His priestly prayer in John chapter 17. And as a result, though, at times, we take this freedom and justify behavior that is not in accordance with God's Word. Listen to what John MacArthur says about that. You see, if we think we are aliens, meaning we're not of this world, John chapter 17, and that's all we are, then we will not feel subject to any of the laws of this world. We will feel we're above or we're hostile to the world and we can live any way we want. Not so. Yes, we are aliens. Yes, we are not of the world. But we are in the world. And, through, and though we are aliens to the world, we must live as citizens in the world. You see, in Christ's priestly prayer, he says, I don't ask you to take them out of the world. Why? Because he wants us in the world. And as such, we are to be submissive to the authorities placed over us by God himself. You know, an example of this, how sometimes we take liberty with the freedom that we receive, is within the situation going on with abortion. We have seen Christians justify breaking the law by trespassing, vandalizing, assaulting abortion providers, and even bombing clinics that killed people because they hold the sanctity of life being precious. Brothers and sisters, and unjust as it is, 
and that abortion kills an innocent life. We cannot break the law and then justify it by saying our cause is of God and therefore we're able to break the law because the law that is in place is not of God. If you do, you know better than what's happening in the clinic. Can we protest? Yes. Can we provide services such as Dakota Hope for alternatives for those young ladies who are, who are wrestling with the decision? Absolutely. We should support those protests. We should support those services. But we should never break the law and discredit Christ. Instead, we should do everything we can through the legal system. And as I was talking with Tim this week, there's a really good chance that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned this year by the Supreme Court. Pray that that happens. Pray that that happens. We are servants of God. Ourself, not We are not of ourselves. It's not about our desires. It's not about our passions. It's about His. And we are to live lives in holiness in accordance with His Word. That's what we're called to do. And as His servants, we are to always glorify God. And that is the fourth reason that we are to be submissive to government. To bring glory to God. Remember what 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. You know, I've said this in times past. We tend to compartmentalize our Christian faith, right? We are, when we're here, we're that optimum Christian, but when we leave the doors and we go out to our work and to our communities and to our families, we're a different person. And we justify our behaviors out there because of the environment we're in. Maybe because we have a hostile boss or we have, you know, disgruntled employees or we have a teacher that's unfair or whatever the case might be, and we justify that behavior, we are to glorify God in everything we do. And that should be the first question you should ask yourself. If what I am doing right now glorifying God. I was once asked when I was a flight chief, kid just came up out of nowhere and said, Sergeant Allen, can I ask you a question? Absolutely, go ahead. Why don't you curse? I'm in a cop squadron and everybody curses. It's a second language, right? I'm bilingual. I can interpret that. I said, because first of all, it's not professional. But second of all, because of my faith in Christ. In everything we do. Now, do we fail in that at times? Yes. But thank God he is there to forgive us of our sin and unrighteousness. But remember, when we go out in the community, we need to be glorifying God. And when we have that in our mind, it'll change how we act. So let's remember that. And so those are the four reasons. To honor the Lord. Because it's the will of God that you do. To be a witness for Christ. And to bring glory to God. Now we have a final verse there. And Peter says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Now, when you read that, you kind of think that's the end of the letter, right? That's a great ending for a letter. But these are the four duties. I'm not going to spend too much time on these. 
These are the four duties we have in the responsibilities that I just shared. We are to honor everyone, which means we need to respect and esteem all citizens as your fellow citizens, no matter what they believe. They all deserve respect. We are to love the brotherhood, which means we are to love all of the brotherhood, no matter who they may be and no matter what they stand for. I have Christian friends who don't believe what I believe, but I'm to still love them. It's not about agreeing, it's about love. We're to fear God. Now this fear of God is the accountability part. Understanding that we are accountable to God first and foremost, who judges each of us based upon our conduct and our heart in relationship to His Word. And He will discipline those whom He loves to correct us. Praise God. And we're to honor the emperor because all authority is placed by God and it is our duty to subject ourselves to government. And so that's Peter's message. So you're probably wondering, you didn't address something, Tim. You didn't address the elephant in the room. Are we always supposed to be submissive to the government placed over us? Are we always supposed to follow every single law that's out there, even if they're unjust? Are we just supposed to just be submissive to every level? The answer is no. The answer is no. Actually, the answer is yes. As long as the law that's being imposed upon you does not come in direct conflict with your relationship with God. You go back to the abortion thing. It's a travesty what's happening in this country. And we are to protest and we are to support the change of that law to save lives. But we're not to break law to start that, to stop that. We have all other means to do that. But if the government came down and said, first child of every woman born in America has to be aborted, now that's a different story. Now we're dealing with a direct situation in which we have to follow the law of God and not the law of men. In fact, there are many examples in the Bible. I'll just give you a couple of them. In Exodus chapter 1, the Egyptian pharaoh gave the clear command to Hebrew midwives that they were to kill male Jewish babies, and yet the Bible says the midwives disobeyed Pharaoh. In Exodus 1.17, it says, Fear God. They feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the boys live. The Bible goes on to say that the midwives lied to Pharaoh about why they were letting the children live, yet even though they lied and disobeyed their government, God was good to the midwives because they honored God above the laws of men. That law was directly in violation between their following of God's law. Daniel records a number of civil disobedient examples. The first one's found in chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to bow down to the golden idol in disobedience to King Nebuchadnezzar's command. Similarly, Daniel in chapter 6 failed to offer up prayers to King Darius, but he would turn himself towards Jerusalem and offer up prayers because the law directly had them do something against God's direct law in their life. And as a result, God rescued him, rescued them, 
from the death penalty, which was the punishment for doing what they did. In the New Testament, we have an example found in Acts chapter 5, where the apostles were arrested by the high priest for preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. And Peter and the apostles said this, we must obey God rather than man. You see, the law was directing them to not do something directly that they're responsible for doing. And so, the Bible is clear that we are not to follow the government when the government enacts a law that inhibits our ability to worship God the Father and to follow His law. That's the only exception. And we have to be careful not to say, well, that law is like that, so I'll use that. Or that law is like that, and then we begin to justify our actions. When a law comes directly against your ability to praise and worship the Lord, and your ability to worship Him, where you feel free to do that, now we need to resist. And how do we resist? It isn't with violence. It isn't with anarchy, protests. We're to do it peacefully. Peacefully. And remember when we do, and there will be a time when we are going to be called to make that decision then we will be persecuted. Just like Peter, just like the apostles, just like Stephen, and many martyrs before us who said, I will not violate my relationship with the Lord in following that law. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteous sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, we are living in a time where it seems our freedoms are under assault. The church is being labeled, and the tensions towards it are ever-increasing. As we draw near to the Lord's return, we will have to make some very tough choices in the future, whether to follow the laws of the authorities placed over us or to submit to the authority of our Lord. God's Word is clear that in the absence of violating God's law, we are to be submissive to the authorities placed over us, even if our personal freedoms are taken away that do not affect our worship. We are to bring honor, not discredit to Christ. We are to walk in God's will and being obedient as servants under authority. We are to be a witness for Christ and an example to a lost and dying world that's seeking at times. And we are to always glorify God in everything we do. And when the authorities directly call us to violate God's law, we must resist peacefully and suffer the persecution as Christ suffered on the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's a tough topic, Lord. Where's the line? But Father, we believe that your word tells us exactly where that line is. And so, Father, as we live as citizens of heaven, we are also called to be citizens of this earth. And so, Father, you have given us clear direction as to how we are to live that life. So, Father, we ask your blessing to be upon your word. We ask your blessing to be upon our hearts that we may be able to walk in it under your power. And so, Father, we give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the thanks in Jesus' name.
Amen. Please stand with us.